Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Last week we talked about uh, when judgment comes. We looked at Hosea chapter 9, and we saw that when judgment comes, there be no rejoicing. When judgment comes, uh, all of life will be reviewed, and we also saw that when judgment comes, it'll mean separation from God. This is what the prophet Hosea shared with the people of Israel, but we also saw those same truths apply to us when the judgment comes, that when Jesus comes again, there'll be no time for rejoicing. Uh, it will mean uh, all of life will be reviewed. It'll also mean a separation from God. Uh, judgment is going to happen. It's going to come, whether we want to admit it or not. It's either going to come at our time of death, or it will come when Jesus comes at His second coming. I don't really want to face the judgment. Can I just be honest? I would much rather just skip that part and move right on into the glory, is what I do. Well, today I want to talk to you about how you can escape judgment. We're going to look at Hosea 10, but we're not going to look at the whole passage. Hosea 10 is a continuation of Hosea chapter 9. It's just Further, further judgment cast down upon Israel and that God is right in what he's about to do to the nation of Israel. Remember, he told them, said, in one year's time, in one year's time, you will no longer exist as a nation of people because judgment is coming for you. But today we're going to look at Hosea chapter 10. We're just going to look at one verse. We're going to look at verse 12. Verse 12 is kind of a, a rose in the midst of the thorns. It's kind of the calm in the middle of the storm. It's, it's kind of the, the refuge in the middle of chaos. It provides a glimmer of hope to the people of Israel. Vivian Van Gorder, God bless you, sweet lady. You just made my day. Good to see you. Blessed is that woman right there. Good to see you. Uh, so so we, 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 we see that, that glimmer of hope in this. And the point that Hosea is going to make to the people of Israel it's not too late. You can still change your ways. There's still hope that you can escape the judgment. So we're going to look at this word in, in Hosea 10, verse 12, how to escape judgment. Look at verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. The first thing we're going to see is that we escape judgment by sowing righteousness. Look at that first phrase. Sow for yourselves righteousness. What is the meaning of that passage? What is the meaning of that phrase? The first thing you need to understand about this is it's in the imperative mood in Hebrew, which means it is a command. This is not a wish. This is not a suggestion. This is not a great idea. It is a command. God, through Hosea, is saying, sow to yourselves righteousness. You are commanded to do this. The second thing you need to see about that phrase is the word sow. It's an agricultural term, meaning to, to, to reap something good, to put something in the ground. It's a cause and effect. It means that if you do this, it will affect something else in the future. It means planting something that will reap benefits in the future. Now, Israel was an agricultural society, unlike us, who are more industrial, but they were an agricultural society, so this would mean something to them. 
Hosea was telling the people of Israel, now is the time to plant. Now is the time to put something in the ground that will bear fruit, that will bear righteousness at a later date. He's saying it's not too late. It's not too late. So, so how do we sow righteousness? That's the key. Listen to what uh, David says in Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Psalm 14, 1 through 3, he says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And we have a day that we celebrate those individuals, do we not? April Fool's Day, right? A fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul summarizes this entire passage in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Just in case somebody out there thinks they're righteous, Paul says, No, not even one. No one is righteous, not even one. So, how do we justify this teaching in Hosea to sow to yourself righteousness when all the Bible says none of us are righteous? None of us can do anything righteous. As a matter of fact, the book of Isaiah says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. There's nothing we can do. So, how do we do this? How do we sow unto ourselves righteousness? What will we do? The statement that Hosea is making is both positive and it's also practical for us to look at this. Even though we are not righteous, we know the one who is righteous. We know the one who is righteous. So what Hosea is basically saying in this passage, sow yourselves to God. Sow yourselves back to God. Turn to God. Sow God in your lives. He's saying there's still opportunity for you to escape the judgment that is coming if you will sow into yourself a relationship with God. He's asking the people to come back to God. He's asking, seek God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Seek Him out. Understand who God is. And once you understand who God is, you will establish a relationship with God. God Himself is righteous. And he longs for people to have knowledge of him, to understand him, so they can identify with him. And then when they begin to identify with God, they will be following the path of righteousness. As it says in, the, in Psalm 23, in paths, lead me in what? Paths of righteousness. Show me how to walk in those paths of righteousness. Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those other things will be added to you. You can go back and read that to find out what it is He'll add to you. But He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all those other things will be added to you. Paul said it this way. He said, Jesus Christ is the only one who is righteous. But because He is righteous, God through Him can make us righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. This is what the New Testament teaches. This is what Hosea is saying to us. Sow into yourselves a relationship with God. Sow God into your life. Second truth, we escape judgment by having a changed lifestyle. Look at that second part. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Here's what he's saying. There's more to life 
than just knowledge of God. There's more to life than just having head knowledge of God. There comes a time in your life when what you say you believe has to be revealed in the way you live your life. This is what he's trying to say. Let what you believe impact the way you live your life. Now, this is difficult to teach. It's hard for me as a preacher to teach this. Why? Because I do not want to border on legalism. I don't want to come across and, and think that we have to keep rules and ri ri rituals and regulations to maintain a relationship with God. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of works. I believe that. I teach that. I preach that. I will go to my grave believing that truth. So we don't want to get into a situation that if you don't do certain things, you lose your salvation. Your salvation is all dependent upon Jesus Christ and not upon you and what you can do. But here's the thing. The Bible teaches this. Now hear me on this. The Bible teaches this, that if you are saved, there will be evidence in your life. If you are genuinely in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that truth will be revealed by the way you live your life. Israel had intellectual knowledge of God. They knew God better than, than many of us in some ways. They were people of religion. They, they believed in it. They had the sacrificial system down. They had the laws down. They had intellectual knowledge of God, but they did not have a distinct lifestyle. God says, Israel, you're supposed to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. You're not developing that distinctive lifestyle that I'm asking you to have. If we sow God into our lives, there will, then that will be evident of that by the truth that we live, by the way we live our lives, by the fruit we produce. It's more than just saying, I'm a believer. There must be some evidence that there is a relationship of Christ there. Madeline Murray O'Hare. Y'all know who Madeline Murray O'Hare is, most of y'all? Uh, some of this has happened before y'all's time. She was the main atheist back a couple of, a couple of years ago, well, several years ago. She now knows the truth, by the way, because she has since passed away. But this is what she said one time. It, it shocked me. She said, thousands of atheists are members of churches. Did you hear that? Thousands of atheists are members of churches. Then somebody said, clarify what you mean by that statement. Explain what you mean by that. And this is what she said. Don't you know that two out of every five church members in America never attend Sunday school or church or support their church in any way? They sure aren't helping your cause, and for all practical purposes, they are adding to ours. Question, is there some validity in that statement? Is there some truth in what she's trying to say? You know, I go on this all the time, and it, this is not for your ears, it's for the ones that listen to me online and aren't here. There's 404 people enrolled in this church. About 170 come every Sunday. Her numbers might be a little low. Two out of five, maybe three out of five. Now, I'm not saying they're not Christians. That's not what I'm saying. So don't you go out and say, the pastor, if you don't attend church, you're not a Christian. All I'm saying is that if you have a relationship with Christ... 
There will be some evidence in your life. You know what the minimal evidence in your life ought to be? You ought to be in church. That's the minimum you can do. If you can't get that minimum thing down, how are you going to do the others? How are you going to do the others? Somebody was, I was talking to somebody today, and he said, he was talking to a guy who, you know, knows the church. He said, he asked me, do you read the Bible? He goes, I read the Bible every day. I read the Bible every day. He said, well, what's your favorite verse? John 3, 16. Everybody knows John 3, 16. I said, did you come back and say, what do you like about it? What do you like about it? I, there may be some belief, validity about it. I preached a whole series on this, I think, last year called Practical Atheism. I think it's last year. Practical atheism. A practical atheist is one who believes in God but lives as though he does not exist. For all practical purposes, they just go right on with their sinful practices, ignoring God, forgetting God, not remembering that God sees, knows, and hears everything. There's no place you can go that you can hide from God's presence. Wherever you go, He's there. He's been there before you, and He'll be there after you leave. And he'll be there when you're there. There's no place you can hide from God. Baptists are, are, are notorious uh, uh, about this idea. Uh, we believe in a God of grace, do we not? We believe in a God of grace. We believe in the security of the believer. We believe in one saved, always saved. But I'm afraid that what we do is we get people saved, we get them dunked, and all we've done is got them wet, by the way, because there's no change. There's no commitment. People get on to me sometimes. Well, preacher, you're not willing to baptize people. I ain't going to baptize them when they're blatantly living in sin. I'm not talking about those of you that lie, cheat, and steal, okay? I don't know that. But when I can see by your life that there's no change from the time you received Jesus uh, to, the, to the before Jesus, after Jesus, I'm not going to make a mockery of baptism. I won't do it. Baptism is an identification with your dying to an old way of life and being raised to a new way of life. And it ain't going to magically happen just because you get wet. If you ain't doing it before you're baptized, you're not going to do it after you get baptized. So I won't do it. I, don't, I just don't play games. I don't do it. Uh, that's, oh, that's hard. Oh, preacher, you ought to be more gracious on them. I say, well, gracious? I said, get serious about your faith. You either love Jesus or you don't. But I'm meddling, am I not? I mean, let's get back and what it says. Oh, that is what it says. <laughs> Hosea, you know, think about a Christian. You know, they won't change. They want the fire insurance. As long as I'm okay, I don't have to, I won't burn. I'm okay with that. But Paul said this, that when you become a, a Christian, it's a new life. He said, you become a new creation. He said, the old has passed away and the new has come. Is that not what it says, Josh, in the New Testament? The old has passed away, the new has come. I had to make sure I had that right. He said, you're a new creation. He also says, you put away those things that you did in the past. You don't act the way you did in the past. You don't do some of the things you did in the past. You don't think the way you did in the past. Why? Because you're a new creation and you become a child of God. Your life should reflect what you believe. This is what God is saying through Hosea. Hosea, change your ways. Hosea is telling the people of Israel, change your ways. Turn back to God and prove your commitment to Him. The, 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 what you believe must be revealed in your actions. John the Baptist said the same thing. The religious leaders would come to John the Baptist and say, we want to be baptized, we want to be baptized. And John the Baptist said, hey, hey, Go out and show me the fruits of your repentance, then I'll baptize you. 
Show me the evidence that you really changed. Jesus said the same thing. And lo and behold, we have to bring Jesus into it. Jesus said this, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father. Now, what is the will of the Father? That everyone believes. Everyone believes and then behaves. Behaves. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to push this idea of identity, uh, of a relationship, is where we're going. Old Testament teaches it. New Testament teaches it. If it's taught in the Old Testament and it's taught in the New Testament, guess what? It's the same today. God does not change. God does not change His truth for cultural relevance. We change our culture to conform to God, not God changing Himself to conform to our culture. God is true. His Word is true. Last truth. We escape judgment by being devoted to Him. Look at that third phrase. And break up your unplowed ground. He's talking about opening yourself up to God's teaching. Opening yourself up to really have an experience of God. He's saying, make your hearts be sensitive. The people of Israel, the hearts have become hard. Now, again, it's not a suggestion. It's not an optional thing. It's not a wish. It's a command. It's an imperative in the Hebrew saying, this is a command. And it's a plea to make ourselves responsive to God's Word. Make ourselves open to the teaching of God's Word. Again, it's an agricultural term. It's just, just as the ground needs to be plowed, so our hearts need to be prepared to be sensitive to receive God's Word. When I thought about this passage, uh, I looked at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the soils. Uh, you, know, you know the story that a farmer went out and cast seed, and some of the seed fell on rocky ground. Why would it fall on rocky ground? It did not plant. It did not root. It bore no fruit. Why? Because the ground was too hard. It had not been prepared. It had not been plowed to receive the seed. It was, fell on those stony places the same way of God's Word. God's Word will, be, will fall on a hardened heart, but that heart is not prepared to receive it, Words, God's Word won't stick. Let's put it that way. It won't stay. It's the idea of cause and effect. What Hosea is saying, he said, if you'll prepare your hearts, God's Word will be planted. If you'll get yourself ready, God's Word would do its work. If the land is plowed, it will be able to receive the seed. It will take root. And once it takes root, there'll be benefits from the roots that happen. It's a, the first phrase we talked about, reaping the fruit of unfailing love, sow for yourselves righteousness. It talks about refusing to do something. And then this phrase talks about doing what is right in its place. You see, it's not enough just to stop doing something. You have to fill that with something else, is what he's trying to say in this passage. It's total devotion to God and, and commitment to his teachings. James said it this way, faith without works is dead. You know, a lot of people wish they could just take the book of James out of the Bible. Martin Luther was that way. Martin Luther hated the book of James because he could not justify the teachings in James with salvation by faith, by 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 grace through faith alone. He couldn't justify it by grace alone. 
He said, it looks like works. But when you put them all together, what you're seeing is that, yes, we're saved by grace, and James is a demonstration of what grace looks like in your life. It's what he's trying to say. James is practical Christianity. This is what it looks like on a day-to-day basis is what he's trying to say. Different, different subject matters, but all coming from God's Word. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But how we live is important. The way we exhibit that faith is important. One of my favorite verses, if not my favorite, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Look at that last part, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now get this, 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 this blows your mind when you think about it. God already had works prepared for you to do depending upon your relationship with God. That's what it says. But we are God's workmanship created Christ Jesus to do good works, which God planned those good works for you before he ever saved you. But he planned you to do good works. It was his purpose for you to do good work. Rick Warren will say God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose. One of those things is to save you, yes, but to help you to do good works. Genuine saving faith produces good works. Years ago, I was putting some gas in my car. And I saw a beer truck pull up. I know, can you believe a Baptist preacher is going to talk about a beer truck? A beer truck pulled up. Samuel Adams is what it says. And it's a great, great advertisement. I loved it. It said Samuel Adams, and it said Samuel Adams beer, and it said a beer drinker's checklist. That's what it was. And on the bottom, it had a picture of nine different kinds of beers. Don't raise your hand if you tasted all of them, okay? But on the far left-hand side, it had pale beer. And then about the middle, it had a, a dark, a dark uh, ale. And then over here, it had a dark malt liquor or something like that. And then it had, even had a wheat cherry beer. I don't, you know, I, I didn't know anything about that one myself. Uh, so, but then underneath, each bottle had a check, a, a little check box. And you could check off each time you drank a beer. I said, that's a pretty cool advertisement. It didn't want me to make me go out and buy Sam Adams beer, but, you know, if I was a beer drinker, I might have to take that, that checklist and see how it works. And then something happened. The driver got out of the truck, and he opened up all the things, and I was expecting him to load the case with a bunch of Sam Adams beers and take it into the store. Instead, he loaded up a Budweiser's, Coors Light, and Bud Light. I said, but it's a Sam Adams truck. He's loading it up with beer that does not sell Sam Adams. And then I began to realize, it's just a beer distributing truck. That's just an advertisement for Sam Adams. Here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes the packaging may say something else, but what's inside reveals something different. This is where we are in our Christian life. We can look like a Christian, but our actions reveal something different. We can say we're a Christian, but it's our actions that are going to speak louder than what we say. We have to be careful that we don't advertise that we're a follower of Jesus, but by our actions we reveal that we're not a follower of Jesus. It does not matter what we say we are. What's inside us reveals the truth by the way we live. We can say we are Christian, but if there is no evidence of Christ living in your life, guess what? People have a right to question you. People have a right to ask, are you really a follower 
of Jesus. Good works has nothing to do with obtaining salvation. Nothing whatsoever. But good works has everything to do with verifying our salvation. It's important. I think this is one of the weaknesses we have in the church today. We just don't get people understanding the need to live their Christian faith publicly in front of people. There must be evidence that proves you have a relationship with God. This is the Old Testament picture of New Testament repentance is what it is. It's the same today. Hosea comes to the people of Israel in the midst of the judgment saying, you're going to be judged. One year from now, you're not going to be in existence. But there's still time. There's still opportunity for you to repent. There's still opportunity for you to change your ways, turn back to God, and live a life that honors Him. He's saying access to God is still available. Hosea is telling the people of Israel to turn over to God uh, the, the hard and the, the weed-infested soil of their sinful hearts. And when they do so, they will experience God's grace. And God's grace will get rid of all those sinful weeds. He'll get rid of all those things. And, and the promise that He gives, look at this passage. He says, For it's time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. He's saying there's still a t- chance there's still a chance to turn this judgment into showers of righteousness. There's still an opportunity for that to happen. It means that God's grace would destroy the seeds of sin in their life. However, Israel didn't listen. Israel did not learn. They did not heed. They chose wickedness over righteousness. It's the same problem exists today. Same problem exists today. People have had so much opportunity to repent of their sins. You know why they don't repent of their sins? Because they love their sin more than they do God. They love their lifestyle more than they love God. It wasn't too late for Israel. Guess what? It's not too late for the people around us. What about the people that live back over here? You know, we've lived opposite these people for, what, 60 years? Our church has been in existence from, what, 63 years, 62 years? You know, now, obviously not all the same. Well, they've heard the gospel enough, don't y'all think? They've had their chance, right? How about the people who live down here in, near the country club? How about the people who live over on the other side of Valley Mills? Here's the thing. We may have told them about the gospel 20, 30, 40 times. It may be the next one that changes their life. As long as they have breath, there is an opportunity for them to repent. As long as they are still, as long as that last door is not closed on their life, there's still an opportunity for them to change their ways and turn to God. And we, as people of God, we as the hands and feet of Christ, we as the the body of Christ, we've got to do everything in our power to communicate to these people that live around us and all of Waco that God loves them and He has a plan and He has a purpose for their life and includes a relationship with Him so they can live out that relationship in the fullness of Christ. We have that opportunity. 
some of you are here today and, and you're evaluating your own life, saying, hey, I'm religious. Man, I've got this stuff down. John 3.16 is my favorite verse. I don't know why it's my favorite, but it's my favorite. We can tell you what it really means. Now, you're religious, but we're not talking about religion. We're talking about relationship. Israel was religious. They knew everything. They knew all the jots and the tittles. They knew what the law said. They knew they could go back and get the sacrifices and do that, but they did not understand the purpose. They did not know what it really meant. They didn't know it was all about a relationship. Many of you know about Jesus. You know about Him. But you don't really understand what it means to your life personally and how it can change your life. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Maybe if some of you, you need a time, you know, I need somebody to talk with me, share with me what, how to become a believer, a follower of Christ, so that I can repent as well. I want to turn to Christ. We can tell you how to do that. For others, maybe you just need to get right with God. So you know Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of your life. But all the, all the junk in your life just begins to cloud Him out. It just happens. It happens. You say, you need to be, push all that stuff aside and say, just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. That's what I want. And I want to spend time with Him. Maybe you need a church home. We can tell you how to do that. Josh and the team are going to come and lead us in a time. I'm going to lead us in a, in a time of prayer. If God is leading you to make a decision, we're going to invite you to come. I'll be here at the front to talk with you, pray with you. Whatever decision you make, would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have. Thank you, Father, for the blessings you've given to us and for this church. Father, for the opportunities you've given to us to share the gospel with those that are nearest, Father, those that are dearest, and Father, those that are furthest from us. Father, we pray that you would continue to help us live the life you've called us to live, to be the people, God, you've called us to be, to be the church that you would have us to be. And Father, help us to always understand it's never too late for people to turn to Christ. It's never too late. Father, you don't give up, so Father, help us not to give up as well. Touch our hearts, Father, as we, we sing, as we reflect. Father, open our hearts to what you have for us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God is leading you to make a decision or talk with someone, I'll be here at the front as Josh leads us.